Welcome to Seeking Paradise, Reflections on Spirituality, Community and Justice. I want to talk today about a man called John Murray. Now, John Murray lived uh, two centuries ago and he was an earnest religious seeker. In the 1760s, he attended uh, the London Church of the Welsh Methodist preacher, James Relly. Now, Relly was preaching the scandalous idea of universalism, that all souls will be saved and eventually united with God, that there will be no hell. And John Murray was an Orthodox uh, Protestant at this time, and he thought this idea was uh, heretical and dangerous. And he was kind of wanting to work out how to counter it. But he attended out of kind of curiosity and out of almost wanting to prove James Rowley wrong. He attended his church, uh, that simple church one morning. And the church seemed sincere and spiritual and truthful. And he thought about the message that was delivered there. His wife was with him, Eliza Murray, and she first decided that she was convinced of this, that she declared she was a universalist. And then John followed suit uh, soon after that. It was a new phase in their spiritual development. But actually, at around this time, things started to get really bad. Things began to fall apart for John. And when you tell these stories from history, it just reminds us what life was really like before the advent of modern medicine. So first, their young son, died and then soon after that Eliza died as well then John got news that four of his brothers and sisters had died within a short period of time and John was devastated with grief he was also in a huge amount of personal debt at this time he, his life was falling apart he was thrown into debtors prison eventually his brother-in-law got him out of debtor's prison but he was still in a place of depression of grief and having the most awful time of his life he was just surviving day to day and that's all he wanted to do all he could imagine doing he said he wanted to pass through life unheard unseen unknown to all as though I ne'er had been. So as many did, in, in 1770, he decided to sail to America to start a new life, a quiet life, where he could get away with, from his old problems and uh, work out a way to live better uh, in America. But when the ship he, he crossed the Atlantic on, arrived on the coast it hit a sandbar and got stuck so everyone on the ship was stuck and john murray was part of a group that were then sent uh, ashore it was just off off the shore um to do some uh, foraging 
And so while they were there, uh, John Murray met a man called uh, Thomas Potter and they got talking. And Murray mentioned that he used to do some preaching. And Thomas Potter said, I built a chapel on my land for traveling preachers. Please come and preach for us. And John Murray said, no, 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 I've given up that, that part of my life. I'm not interested in that. I've left that part of my life behind. I just want a quiet life. But Thomas Potter convinced him that if the ship hadn't managed to get loose by Sunday, that he would preach in that chapel on his land. And the ship hadn't shifted by Sunday. And so that Sunday, John Murray preached in that small wooden chapel in New Jersey. And he preached the good news of universal salvation. And he didn't stop. He returned to his work of preaching, of ministering. And John Murray became one of the founders of American universalism from that time onwards. Being a a founding father of a growing, expanding, religious community believing in the universal love of God. The closing words that we use in our service right now at Cardiff Unitarians in Dodiad Cardiff uh, were written by the historian Alfred Cole as a summary of John Murray's life and teaching. Go out into the highways and byways. Give the people something of your new vision. You may possess a small light, but uncover it. Let it shine. Use it in order to bring more light and understanding to the hearts and minds of people. Give them not hell, but hope and courage. Preach the kindness and everlasting love of God. the life of John Murray. You may possess a small light, but uncover it, let it shine. Now, I wanted to talk about John Murray today, not, not just because it's historically interesting, but because his life journey, I think, can tell us something about our life journey and something about identity, which is this month's theme here. I think the interesting thing about this spiritual story is not so much that he was just converted to a different doctrine, but that he went through the darkest time of his life, went through this period of deep, deep suffering before emerging as this great spiritual leader. And I want to say today that to some extent, this path is always necessary to be able to answer the question, who are you? Who are you? And what is the you? What is the you that is the deepest level of you-ness? That's, of course, one of the deep questions of, of human life. And the deep traditions of psychology and spirituality and myth and literature have some ways in which they help us to answer that question. Jesus said, you, you are the light of the world. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. You may possess a small light, but uncover it, 
let it shine. But what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean? What does it mean being a lamp lighting up the whole house? Does it mean showing off how good, how marvelous, how moral, how religious, how spiritual I am? Well, that does seem to be contradicted by other words of Jesus. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. Whenever you give alms, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do, so that they may be praised by others. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Jesus criticizes those who like to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. So what does it mean to let your light shine before others, but not practice your spirituality to be seen by others and to be for others to be impressed by that and to sort of give you honor? What this points to, I think, is, is that there are different powers, different structures, different energies within us. And what matters is that is the, is the power that we operate out of. So I'd call these different powers uh, the ego and the deeper true self. The ego is concerned with feeling superior to other people, being right, being successful, being respected in the marketplace. And the true self is the light of God that needs to shine. I think Jesus was pointing us towards this truth, though we do understand it also uh, through supplementing that with other wisdom from lots of other different traditions as well. Now, I do want to say the ego is not entirely a bad thing. We, we do need to kind of have a healthy ego to start with, a healthy sense of self. And that should be the kind of the foundation, the foundation of the self because we need to be told as as, as babies and as, as children oh you're a lovely little thing you're a lovely little thing oh you're so marvelous oh you're so pretty oh you're so clever oh look at you we need to have that that basic kind of unconditional love and affection and praise as as the kind of uh, developmental foundation of, of, of who we are and if we don't have that then it's going to be a really really hard journey to get to a sense of self um, most of us thankfully have some sense of, of of a foundation of love as the foundation of our lives a foundation of of, of of care and praise we need to be affirmed we need to be affirmed with a healthy sense of ego in our true self and what some people have called the first task, uh, the task of the first half of life, uh, people like Richard Raw talks about this, is that sort of pursuing of our specialness, of the success of the self, and to search for security, for success, for identity, even for superiority. I'm special and I'm pursuing the path of my success in my specialness. But there can come to, we can come to a point where we, we see how, how small this is. And then we begin the task of what Richard Raw calls the second half of life. Sometimes we work it out. Sometimes life just happens to us and forces the realisation upon us. For John Murray, his life fell apart. 
he wasn't welcome in his old religious networks his old kind of network of support because he was now a heretic and a universalist so he lost that he had no money he was in debt he wasn't successful in his career or making money and then the most horrific thing you can imagine happening to someone his son died and his wife died i mean utter kind of devastation the enormity of that grief heaped upon him he had tried at the first half of life and come to a place of total failure failure in career failure in his finances failure in his family life it was all wiped out and he had nothing left suffering pretty quickly highlights the limitations of the ego path failure shows it pretty well and let's recognize also how this falls unevenly on different people okay so so women get this more than men and and black people and other people of color get this more than white people so it takes more failure and more humiliation and more suffering for a white man to give up the ego path white men need a kind of greater level of of the, of the sense of wiping out of ego to get to a place of kind of maturity for a lot of other people it just kind of happens whether you like it or not because of the structural nature of our society the structures of inferiority superiority kind of placed in our society so the spiritual path is to go beyond this pursuing of success and superiority and then to get to the deeper task of life and some people don't get there however old they get but if you're lucky in a sense you might get to the point of asking that other question of jesus what profit is it you to you to gain the whole world but to lose your soul that's the flipping question flipping question <laughs> that's the question that flips from the first task of the ego sense of life to the second task of the true self task of life what profit is this for the whole world compared to the soul and this stuff is true of individuals can be also true of, of countries whole countries and whole cultures and whole institutions as well as i've said before i think england is very much on an ego path of wanting to prove it's the best country in the world and that explains a lot of old history and recent history as well i really think that it's not seeking wisdom it's seeking superiority even though to seek superiority is to always be anxious because there's always an anxiety that you're not going to be superior so it's a, it's an anxious place to be i think this can be true of whole religions even i think christianity at least in many of its forms is still pretty obsessed with proving it's better than other religions oh no that's all that's all an ego path way of operating and in a weird way, Unitarianism is like this sometimes. We're always 
wanting to make the point that, that we're more tolerant, more inclusive, more enlightened, more modern than other religious groups. We find it impossible to talk about ourselves without making the point about how we're better than other religious groups. And that's the ego path as well. I'm sorry, it is. That's the ego path as well. If your only way of understanding self is to have to understanding of superiority from other, then that's the ego path. It's true of people. It's true of institutions. The great Islamic poet Rumi wrote, I want to be free from this ego dog of mine. I tie a collar of repentance around his neck, but once he sniffs the scent of blood, he tears it to pieces. How can I tame this ego dog of mine? How is the mad dog of the ego tamed? How do we get to the place of ego detachment that the great feminist Unitarian reformer Susan B. Anthony talked about? To be willing to be anything or nothing in the world's estimation, to be able to achieve something, to be able to achieve a reform, to be able to create structural change in the world, you must be willing to be anything or nothing in the world's estimation. I mean, sometimes that can be an ego path as well. If, if it's someone saying, oh, I don't care what people think about me, I'm just being me. And that can be an excuse for bad behavior and not thinking of the feelings of others as well but if we can get to a point of being compassionate of being compassionate to others and willing to be anything or nothing in the world's estimation then we're getting to that place of of, of tying up the mad dog of the ego and i'm not there i'm not there right i'm not there in getting to that place of, of willing to be anything or nothing in the world's estimation that's 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 a tough call right to, to be able to say i am willing to be nothing in the world's estimation i don't know i you know i want to be something in the world's estimation right <laughs> i kind of like that but that's 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 the cap that's the ego stuff right i'm not there yet and that's why i come to church every week that's why i do it that's why i pray that's why i practice prayer because i want to get to a place of ego detachment because it's a place of freedom it's a place of freedom to be able to get to a place of ego detachment it's a limit when you're still in the cage of the ego so right now i'm practicing uh, the welcoming prayer every day that's something um this month um that I'm taking on as a practice. Um, and in the welcoming prayer, I say, I give my desire for security and survival to God. I give my desire for affection and esteem to God. I give my desire for control and power to God. That's a hard prayer, right? That's a hard prayer. That's a hard prayer. I like affection and control and security. <laughs> I like those things. I want those things, right? I do want them, but then that, that's why the prayer is there to be hard to 
get to a place of ultimately kind of practicing a non-attachment to that. That's a, it's a prayer for, for, for the task of this moving beyond the ego in the second half of life. And we do need to have some sense of security and esteem and control as the kind of foundation first, as I say, um, there needs to be a kind of a, a, what we hold on to so that we can let it go. We have it and we voluntarily, it's not taken away from us by someone else, but we very clearly have it and choose to voluntarily give up these ego things. This is the prayer to be liberated from the ego and to find that sense of true self in comfortable, real identity. I give my desire for security and survival to God. I give my desire for affection and esteem to God. I give my desire for control and power to God. Amen.